Hello and welcome to Freelance Party Broadcast, the podcast brought to you by Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers. I'm Faye and this is Jess. Hello. Each week we quiz an expert with questions sent in by you. This week we are joined by Iona Bain, personal finance writer, who's going to talk to us about how to prepare financially for 2020. Welcome Iona. Hello there. (laughs) Can you first start by just telling us about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am founder of the Young Money blog. I talk and write about young people's personal finances. I'm also a journalist, a speaker, a broadcaster. I've written a book called Spare Change and I set up the Young Money Agency uh, with my dad, Simon, in 2017. And yeah, I'm really the go-to girl on young personal finance in the UK today. Do you think maybe it might have been quicker to ask you what you don't do? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to well, say, that's a lot under your belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't make life easy for myself, do I? It's a hell of a CV anyway, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I'm not a financial expert, but I think there are loads of ways to save money. With the rise of financial services like Plum and Monzo, do you recommend those kind of banks to people? I I would say that there isn't any one bank that suits everybody and it really depends on what kind of freelancer you are. So are you a sole trader? Do you have a company? What's your income? What's your personal situation as well? Um, Do you have a joint bank account or are you uh, single and just operating um, your own finances? Therefore, I think it's just hard to make those hard and fast recommendations. But what I would say is that for sole traders, uh, who are the kind of people I tend to deal with, because when you're younger, you're not going to necessarily have a big company right from the get-go. You are much more likely to be starting out in freelancing as a sole trader, and your income is likely to be fairly modest for some time. Um, If you're really lucky, maybe you can accelerate your earnings, but usually it takes a while for people to get going as a freelancer. So when they're a sole trader, I tend to say that it doesn't necessarily matter if you don't have a business bank account because it costs money to have a business bank account. And actually now a lot of these new banks that that you just um, mentioned there, such as Monzo, Starling and so on, they're really good secondary bank accounts. And actually for a lot of young people, whether they're self-employed or not, I recommend having one of these banks as a secondary bank account and you can stick with your main high street bank if you're happy with them. If you're not, obviously, I definitely recommend having a look around the market and you can get money for switching bank accounts, free money, which can sometimes be, I think I got £150 for switching bank accounts recently, which is like a really easy, you know, it's just really easy money that you can earn without having to do that much. Uh, work. So I'd say switch your main bank account if you're not happy, but if you are perfectly happy, stick with it and then open one of these secondary bank accounts. And you could almost use that as your personal spending account. So with my main bank account, my high street one, all my income goes into there. I sort out all my expenses and all my professional finances through that. And then I pay myself a salary almost. And that's really good because then I've got all my direct debits going out of my professional direct debits, I should say, and my bills going out of my main account but my discretionary spending is in my secondary account so that's about as far as I would go in terms of a recommended strategy but in terms of banks just shop around and and, and figure out you know which which ones are best for you I think it's a lot easier to do that with these new banks now because uh, the commitment 
to opening them is it's not that big you know you can open one mm. and, and just see how you get on and if you think well this is not really working for me then you can try another one um but yeah just just see what's out there i think it's a good idea like i have a monzo account um and i think it's good because it's that introduction to budgeting yeah and knowing right you can set that you know that your transport costs you 50 pounds a week so set yeah. it at you know 50 pounds a week and then your you know when you go out to eat restaurant budget I do all of those things and I'm not saying I'm brilliant at sticking to them but they're there and it make it forces me to make conscious decisions about making my lunch to go to work exactly instead of going to Pret or somewhere every single day yeah so. no, it, it makes you mindful about your money and when you're seeing it there on your phone it just makes it much more real so it highlights your spending in real time. And I just think that's incredibly powerful, especially now with contactless cards. Uh, it's so easy to lose track of your spending. Oh, gosh, yeah. It really is. But what I love the most about like Monzo and Starling and things like that is touching what you said. It's like it's instant. Mm. And even like when you make that contactless payment, the fact yeah. that you can hear it, you know yes. that's happened. Because back like a few years ago, you'd make a payment like I was with NatWest, I think. And then you find like it comes out like a, a few days later, and you're yes. like, "But I've already made the payment." How is Absolutely, this happening? yeah. You when you look at a lot of new fintech now, it really does show up just how old-fashioned a lot of banking technology is, mm. and how we've all really been operating in the dark when it comes to our finances for quite a long time now i mean it's not a silver bullet i mean i've been using one of these kind of secondary accounts for for a while now and it has modified my behavior in some respects but actually sometimes you have to put a bit of work into actually customizing the spending categories to make them reflect what you like to spend your money on and what mm. your actual real spending habits are um, I have a, an account with Starling and sometimes it throws up some really odd suggestions for where <laughs> I've been spending money it's like no I'm pretty sure I didn't I wasn't spending money there you've just <laughs> you've just made that leap you made that assumption so yeah. so it's not it's not foolproof by any means but I think it's it's only going to get more sophisticated and more intelligent in in due course and I think um, especially with these chatbots like Clio Plum Chip I think that's something I really want to try out in 20 20 and see whether that could help me as well in my spending behavior because I, I just think that is so ingenious to have the equivalent of a friend there or maybe like a, a tough parent uh, <laughs> saying to you you know maybe you should be curbing your spending here or maybe you should be saving a bit more there and so on I, I use Plum and I, I do use, yeah I, I've used it for maybe two years now how does it time. actually work so it's brilliant, and I'm, I'm not being sponsored by Plum to say this. <laughs> um, essentially, it's you you have Plum on your Facebook Messenger, yeah, and you connect it with your bank account. And every six weeks or so, you have to fill in this form for the Financial Conduct Authority, but on on your phone, just yeah. to say that you're okay with Plum taking money out of your account. Mm. Um, and it basically sees how much you're spending and on what what you're kind of spending your money on, and it calculates how much could leave your bank account without you noticing so I realized that just after I'm paid the amounts that I'm putting into my plum savings are a lot more because I might be spending a bit more and then when it gets to kind of the end of the month mm. it becomes like oh you know we'll put 15 pounds a week into your plum account rather than these bigger amounts that it was at the start of the month mm. so is it a savings account yeah, yeah. so so yeah. I think plum's focus is more on trying to find those 
those gaps where they can put money into a savings account, which I believe is held with Barclays. But with the others, I think that they're a bit broader in talking to you more about your spending habits. But again, I think it's about, you know, figuring out what, what's what's best for you. If, you're, if your main concern is, I'm, I'm pretty good with my spending, but I'd like to save more money. Mm. Plum is obviously the right one for you. I think what's good about it as well is that you get your balance, your, your actual account balance, your main account, um, not your Plum account, that balance is sent to you via Facebook Messenger every morning. Mm-hmm. So you're always like, you become very aware. Mm-hmm. You can never not know how much money is in your account. But I find that that invisible saving account I have in Plum, mm. I then forget about it. I don't check how much I've got in there. I make a conscious effort not to. And uh, just as an example, this week I actually went in to see how much was in it because I wanted to buy quite an expensive thing. Um, and I had £400 in there. And I had no idea that it would be that much. I thought it was going to be about 200 because mm. I only took a, a fairly big chunk of it out a couple of weeks ago. But it saves it up and I, I have never noticed it. So I would really recommend that as so a savings way for young people. Do they essentially just like take little bits of your money? Yeah. They yeah. don't say how much? They do tell you how much. They say... And can I'm you up that or lower that? Yeah, or? you can say like, oh, actually, I want you to save more. Mm-hmm. I want you to save less. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do all of that. You could also choose if you invest it. They will also put it mm. into investments for you, but you don't have to do that. Yeah. I don't. Mm. But yeah, they send you a message to say, we are taking this money out of your account and then you can opt out of it, but I never do. Mm-hmm. There's there's um, <laughs> certain banks now that allow you to uh, round up your spending. Yeah, so the spare money goes into a savings account or, or an investment account as well. And I think that's such a brilliant way to just start saving on autopilot because mm. I think for most people if they have to think about saving there are a million reasons not to and the key is to just make it as automatic as possible whether yeah. that is to set up a direct debit when you get paid um, or to round up your spare change or to have a chat bot that just uh, suggests if you do have some money why not put it into a savings account because we're all guilty of when we've been paid to kind of if you see that you've got that figure in your bank account, you're yeah. more likely to spend it. So I think that definitely having that automated, just take it out because I don't like if I don't see it, it doesn't make a difference to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think That'd when they're small amounts, it feels a lot more manageable. If it's yeah, um, they start taking hundreds, then I'll be a bit worried. Yeah, <laughs> if it's fifteen pounds every few days because it is more than once a week, um, and then you don't notice it. I think it's particularly good for freelancers because you've got quite lumpy income and sometimes you'll be in a fix and you'll really want to get some money just to tide you over and I always say it's far better to dip into savings than to borrow in that situation Mm. so I think that anytime you get paid if you can put even a little bit of that into a savings account and do that straight away and use some of these functions um, then you're giving yourself a cushion and I always I always think savings shouldn't be about sacrifice. It's about self-care because that's your money. You're just putting it to one side. You're just putting it somewhere that you can't access in your day-to-day life. But when you really need it, you can get at it and Mm. you can get yourself out of a a hole if need be. Um, Talk about these freelancers and having um, this cushion as it were like Mm. to get them out of hard times which freelancers and and everyone kind of find themselves in at some point um are there any common mistakes that you think freelancers make when they start out that's a good question i think uh, speaking from experience i had several 
goes and false starts at freelancing. So the first couple of goes, I just couldn't make it work. And it wasn't so much financial issues that stopped me. I think it was more psychological issues. I think I wasn't confident enough. Um, I wasn't established enough. And I didn't take rejection very well. I didn't realize that that's just part and parcel of being a freelancer. Mm. And I just took it way more personally than I needed to. And therefore, you know, I'd be freelancing for a few months, maybe up to a year. But then I'd hit a brick wall and have to go back into full time employment uh, for a while. But this latest period of freelancing has has been a success. And I don't think I am going to go back into full-time employment for the foreseeable future because I think the, the main way that I have uh, managed to keep everything on an even keel is by being entrepreneurial and having a much more adaptable mindset. So I think the mistake that freelancers can make in the beginning is this is what I can do. This is what I am good at doing. And therefore, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and I'm going to go for this and let's hope it works. And I, I think that that some people can make that work for them, but most people have to think around their expertise and their niche and they have to think about the skills that they have and whether they can be transferred to other areas or not and then go out and find that work. And it may not be work that you, you would have ever imagined doing, um, but you might surprise yourself. And I mean, I, I, when I went freelance this last time round, I set up my agency with my dad. I came up with a plan for the kind of work that we were going to do, the kind of work we were going to accept. Um, we came up with a, a framework for working together. Um, it really helped, obviously, having him on board, having him help me with a lot of stuff, because that's the other thing that freelancers can find very overwhelming, all the admin, mm -hmm. suddenly going from, you know, having an HR department take care of everything, having your employer do so much for you. Suddenly you are your own HR department. You're your own boss. You know, you're your own agent. You're your own editor. You know, you have to take on all these different roles yourself. If you can find anybody who will help you as a freelancer, um, it doesn't have to be in a formal partnership, but if you can pay somebody even to take on designing your website for you or doing some virtual assistance for you, anything like that, I think, can just really help, even if it feels like a bit of a luxury in the beginning. And that's where savings comes in or other pots of money that you can put towards those activities. Just try not to get too bogged down try to just get that base level of work. And even if it's not in the areas that you originally imagined, you might surprise yourself. And actually within due course, you're going to establish a reputation for being really versatile, really adaptable, really entrepreneurial, really interesting and, and original. And then you're, you, you know, you're going to take off and, and things are going to settle down and, and you'll be able to have that steady income and, and not have those sleepless nights worrying about whether you'll pay the bills anymore. Mm. But touching on like starting out, it's quite hard with the highs and lows. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to budget along the way as well. Yeah. So what is your advice on like the quiet periods of the year? How do you budget around that to survive? Uh, well, that's why, you know, first of all, savings are a lifesaver in, in that situation um, all throughout my whole career to date, including when I've been in full time work, but especially when I've been freelancing, I've been a really assiduous saver. And it's funny because actually when you're freelance and you are having to manage your income in a very strict way, it does concentrate your mind. It does it does focus uh, your, your attention on 
what's coming in and going out and you actually have to learn to budget you know it's not it's not an option when you're a freelancer and I always remember when I was working full-time that budgeting would go out the window because suddenly there was just this completely guaranteed secure steady income Mm. coming in every month and actually my spending would almost expand to fit that that steady income that came in and I wouldn't save money as much whereas when I've been freelancing um, I've noticed what's coming in and going out and then I've you know managed my lifestyle at various points to fit that really but the best thing to do as well is when things are good to then not go crazy Mm. because if you're alternating too much between feast and famine and you are also having either a very lavish lifestyle or a really meager one that is just a really financially hard and b really psychologically difficult so i'd say try and maintain a steady lifestyle that you can afford and try to keep it on the more conservative side particularly in the beginning when you're just starting out and you have a more modest income and when money does start coming in try not to go crazy and try to put some of that into savings and you'll be really glad Later on, when you do have those leaner periods, which are inevitable, you can draw on some of that money and keep going. But the other important thing as well is just to make sure that you are you are doing some work of one form or another throughout all those periods and, and there isn't too much of an extreme. You do need to take some breaks, but it's it's I don't think it's good for anybody to go from a period of lots and lots and lots of work to nothing. Mm. And there is there is a lot you can do to mitigate that. Do you um you know pay yourself a salary is that something that you recommend to freelancers that they treat their business and themselves differently so like because mm. I, I know that seems to be a bit of advice that goes around quite a lot that your business money should pay you on a direct debit yeah you, you kind of need a business account to do that is that something that you do or you recommend yeah you can do that through a business account or you can do it just through an ordinary bank account and a, a, a secondary account like I have but yes absolutely you need to have some separation between your professional and your personal expenses because otherwise it just all bleeds into each other and it makes life a lot more complicated and confusing. And because you can get all these amazing budgeting tools now that will help you keep on top of your personal spending, there's no reason not to use one of those and to really take advantage of of that technology. So yeah, I definitely say, even if it's maybe not paying yourself a salary, although for some people that's quite psychologically helpful to them, Mm. um, but to definitely try and keep your discretionary spending separate from your professional expenses and also to just make sure all your essential bills if they are going out at a particular time of the month that there's just a direct debit there in your main account to or your business account to pay those uh those expenses and those bills and and to make sure obviously that there's enough money in there at that time of the month to do that right that's really interesting so touching on what you said about the salary Mm. how would you actually work out what's a good salary for you or do you just kind of like fiddle around with numbers until it works or there isn't a hard and fast rule about how much you should pay yourself you've just got to sit down and figure out what are my essential expenses and what would I like to have and what can I live on realistically but again it comes back to trying to keep that on the more conservative side because if you're operating at the absolute maximum amount if you're right there at the at the threshold of what you can afford then if there's any imbalance in your finances if there's any uh, surprise shock uh, unexpected expense then that's going to tip everything into into chaos so I'd say if you are going to pay yourself a salary just 
having that that clear number in your mind for both essential expenses and your discretionary spending and try and keep it on the more modest side. I guess freelancers have this additional problem when it comes to saving Mm -hmm. the fact that they have to pay their taxes themselves and you have to do that twice a year and it's very much like suddenly you have to pay this fairly large amount of money Mm -hmm. quite often so then you you have to have that money and so you you can't dip into that so how should freelancers go about making sure that they're never not paying their tax or um, not saving enough to pay their tax. I think the key is to just be organised and to make sure that you are not rushing to complete your self-assessment form towards the end of January because you're probably leaving it too late by then. If there's any administrative problems, then there's a real risk that you might might end up not filing it on time, which is a really bad idea. So just get organised in advance. Try to get an idea of how much you're expenses are likely to be. So I've managed to get myself into quite a nice predictable pattern with my expenses now where I've sussed out what I can put down on my form, what is is perfectly legitimate and fair. And, and if you can do that, then you know that that allowance is going to be there for you as well. So you're not playing this guessing game of wondering, oh, well, how much will I manage to get back at the end of the day? You know, you, you, you know, more or less what you are going to pay in tax you've got that in your mind in advance of the deadline and it's not too much of a surprise hopefully once once you actually have paid that tax and and uh, yeah I think expenses are something that every freelancer needs to get their head around you can pay an accountant you can use accountancy software to be honest I think that if you have more modest um, freelance earnings, I, I think for the most part, an accountant shouldn't really be necessary. I've been doing my accounts. I know I do the Young Money blog, but it's not that hard. And there's so much guidance actually from HMRC about what you can claim for that is incredibly helpful. They do actually try to make it as easy as possible. So I think a lot of people think, oh, as, as soon as they go freelance, I've got to get an accountant. Yes, maybe further down the line if you're going to set up a company if things start becoming more complicated that could be a good investment of your time and if you really really don't want to do it and if you're really dreading it and if you know you're going to be badly organized but I would say most freelancers can get their head around their own taxes when they're at a stage when they're not maybe a company most sole traders can I'd say and is there anything that freelancers should be doing in December to kind of prepare for this January deadline um, yeah, well, I think just, yeah, make, making sure that you actually got that time set aside. It could be this month. Apparently, there's a massive spike in the number of people who do this in the Christmas holidays. So uh, <laughs> HMRC sees a big uh, spike in people going onto its website between Christmas and New Year, which is interesting. Um, so it could be that there might be a little window over the Christmas holidays where you, you, you decide to actually get get things sorted wow see i'm just in a turkey coma from (laughs) christmas day christmas eve really until new year's day well it's funny (laughs) actually a lot of freelancers find that is incredibly useful productive time because it does feel a bit like dead time doesn't it christmas is over Mm. you might have big new year plans but most people are not doing that much between christmas and new year everything's Mm. shut down and then 
when you get into January, it just all becomes completely mad again. So I, I do find it's a good time to actually may, maybe maybe doing tax is a little bit. I mean, even <laughs> even I can't bring myself to do that. But I think um, it's a fantastic time to plan for the year ahead. I'm de- December is the month where I'm not going to do any public speaking. I'm not going to do any public appearances at all. Really, I'm just going to concentrate purely on planning for 2020 and trying to get my new year off to a great start that's a really good way of looking at it. maybe i should do that yeah. <laughs> december could be like a self-care month you just yeah preparing mm. to make 2020 a really successful year yeah self-care doesn't always mean like wrapping yourself up in a blanket and you know just putting netflix on or something mm. it is making life easier for yourself so yeah yeah that starting in december kind of takes away that pressure of the new year's resolution as well doesn't mm. it mm. oh yeah definitely i think i think new year's resolutions can be quite counterproductive because it it makes you feel like it's going to be this brand new amazing start and inevitably you know things are not going to magically transform themselves overnight for you um, as a freelancer. But it's interesting that there are lots of freelancers doing away days in December where they take some time out and they just strategize for the year ahead and figure out what they want to do. Do they want to scale up? Do they want to stay at the same size? Do they want to diversify into this area? Do they want to increase the amount of work that they get in that area? You have to get those questions clear in your mind, I think, before you start that new year because otherwise um, you're just reacting all the time and to be honest I've spent so much of my freelance career reacting and that's fine and when it puts food on the table you know you're you're really happy for the most part but you get to a point where you outgrow that and you go I don't want to just react anymore I actually want to be proactively creating my own opportunities Mm. and I've always found that just investing time money and or energy into creating those opportunities and platforms for me have paid huge dividends and have actually taken my career to that next level. Because for me personally, there's nothing worse than feeling like you're stagnating, feeling like you're just going around the same track over and over again. That's why I left full-time work, to be honest, because I found that that was very repetitive for me. Mm. So why then replicate that situation in your freelancing life? It makes no sense. So do what you need to do and take the time out that you need to take to figure out what you need to do to get to the next level. I love that. I mean, (laughs) the next question that I was going to ask was going to be around um, advice that you would give a freelancer. I mean, you've touched on quite a few things there. Yeah. (laughs) But um, is there anything specific that you would really say to maybe yourself when you were first starting out? Well, let's talk about money because something that has been a huge learning curve for me is pay. I found out a few years ago that I was undercharging for some of the work that I was doing and it feels horrible. I mean, you know, it feels like you've been cheated on. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's just a really awful feeling that you've been exploited and used. And to be honest, it is partly your fault if it happens because you've been complicit in that situation. It's either you've gone in with a price that's too low and the client, you can't blame them if they think they're getting a bargain, they're going to bite your hand off. Or they've suggested a fee and you've not had the confidence to tell that person that actually, no, that's not the market rate for what I do. So you've got to sit yourself down and ask yourself, what do I need to do to get the pay that I think I deserve? And it's really hard because then it means having to go and talk to other people in your field about what they're getting paid 
And that means asking some fairly blunt questions. I've had to have this conversation <laughs> with other freelance journalists, speakers and broadcasters. And um, it's never easy to say, so what are you getting paid to do this? But if you can maybe couch it in friendly terms and, and make it sound like, you know, you're prepared to share information. It's not just a case of you're asking somebody for something and giving them nothing in return. Wherever possible, you know, freelance relationships should always be reciprocal. So if you can try and get that information and then, you know, pay them back in another way, then that then that can work really well. And then it's actually about talking to the clients. Well, it's also about setting up, even if it's just an imaginary table of rates, I actually did write down a table of rates and then I had to keep revising it and keep revising it. So, you know, there isn't a table of rates that you will consult every time because every piece of work is different. It just doesn't, it, it, you just don't have that situation where you can go and consult your, you know, book of rates and come back with the perfect rate. Mm. It's case by case, but you've got to have those benchmarks in your mind and you've got to at least have those as a starting point because every time you're talking to a client it's a negotiation and the, and the minute I realized that it totally transformed my understanding of this area it wasn't just a case of they're offering a fee you have to accept it sometimes that's the case if it's really really prestigious work but most of the time it's actually a negotiation um, and you've got to go into that negotiation confident about your success confident in your abilities and ultimately being prepared to walk away if you're not going to get the fee that makes it worth your while we have now some questions sent in by freelancers. Yeah. So firstly, we have James, who's 25 and has a side hustle he is looking to take full time. Mm. He asks, when do I know if I have enough money saved up to take my side hustle full time? Okay. Is that how long is a piece of string? Yes, <laughs> exactly. I think you need to not be too cautious in that if you're waiting for your side hustle to replace your full-time income you will wait forever because that's that's a common misconception about side hustles people think that you only go full-time with your side hustle once it can absolutely replace your income much of the time that's not true most people who decide to pursue their side hustle accept that they'll have to take a big dip in their income so I think the question that James needs to ask himself is how much of a drop in my lifestyle could I realistically afford and also ha have I got a plan for my side hustle I don't know what it is but is he confident that he would be able to expand it to fill his time and to also then build back up to the income that he's used to having. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's not necessarily the case. It, it absolutely has to be, you know, he has to be earning the same amount of money that he's earning at the moment full time, but it can't be too much of a drop in income. And he has to feel fairly confident that he's going to be able to find those opportunities so that he'll be able to build it into being a full time career. That's important though. I suppose a lot of that goes around the confidence as well. You have to be confident to take that plunge in your brand in order for you to even put your finances there too. Yeah, yeah. And I think a really good idea is is to, I mean, hopefully he is making money through this side hustle at the moment. But in order to, to smooth that transition, finding out whether there are other clients out there that would be prepared to take him on so that he's hitting the ground running when he goes freelance and just start saving and start budgeting now. Um, if you can do that in advance of going freelance, you're building that, that cushion 
and you're getting used to charting what's coming in and going out of your account because that will be very important for him. He is likely to see a dip in his income. He's likely to be having a bit more of a modest lifestyle for the foreseeable future. But actually, um, yeah, if he's confident and if he's got a USP, more importantly, then sky's the limit. I'm wishing him all the best. Hmm. Hmm. So So we had a second question too. And this one is from Chris, who's been self-employed for over 20 years. Wow. That's a lot longer than me. (laughs) (laughs) So he asked, even after 20 years, I still start every new year with a resolution about my finances that I never keep. So what resolution shall I set for 2020 and how can I stick to it? What did you just say about not liking (laughs) This is why, this is why I don't like resolutions. Chris, don't do it. Don't do it, Chris. Chris, (laughs) You know what? Don't put pressure on yourself because actually I think that's one of the problems with resolutions. You know, we almost set ourselves up to fail with resolutions. I think it's better to be thinking about what you would like to achieve in 2020 with your career. If you've been freelancing for 20 years, I assume that you're doing fantastically well, that you're really enjoying it. But actually, there could be areas of your finances that could do with some shoring up. And and perhaps you might want to save a bit more money. Maybe you've got some debt that you want to pay down. Actually identifying what your financial goals are. And also, if you are maybe thinking ahead to the future, you might want to slow down a bit. Maybe you want to be not necessarily retiring, but stepping back, not working as much. If that's the case, what can you do to make that happen? So yeah, looking at any debt that you might have, trying to build your savings. We've given hopefully some really good tips for that already. But also think about your pension. Think maybe about investing as well, seeing whether or not you can start to supercharge those returns on your savings pot. And yeah, planning a bit more for the future and and defining what your financial goals are. I think thinking about it in terms of long-term goals rather than resolutions might be the way to go for Chris. Now, to kind of summarise at the end now, what can freelancers do to kind of really prepare for the new year though? Like maybe it's not a resolution. Mm. Are there any good habits that you think all freelancers should definitely do, definitely have, that you would recommend? They're going to be quite general ones, but I hope that's okay. Yeah, Um, (laughs) Some really good general uh, tips that have helped me um, are... First of all, talk more about money. Talk about money with fellow freelancers. Find out what people are getting paid, how people are managing tricky pay negotiations and make a resolution to start asking for a little bit more money than you would have felt comfortable with before. Push yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone. If you find yourself going, ooh, that sounds like a bit much, you're probably actually asking for the right fee because most freelancers forget that they're not increasing their pay by inflation every year. And if you get more and more successful and more established, then you are probably becoming more valuable. So you do need to be charging more. So get in the habit of just asking for a little bit more than you previously felt comfortable with and talk to fellow freelancers about pay. Also, email admin. Having a better email management system has completely transformed my admin because email is tyrannical for all of us let's face it we all feel completely controlled by our email but what I found is having email folders for individual clients or projects 
and trying to keep my inbox as clear as possible. So I have one email address that I use for my actual day-to-day agency work. And I have other email addresses for press releases because I'm a journalist. Uh, and I have some filter email addresses on my website because I get an awful lot of spam. And I found that even though I've got more email addresses, <laughs> which sounds complicated, actually having each one for specific purposes ha- has given me a filter system and it stopped one email address becoming the, you know, the depository for all this irrelevant stuff. So try to streamline your email or come up with different email addresses. And then when you have your email to try to deal with it and keep on top of it as you go along, rather than do it all in one big burst and feel completely overwhelmed by it. And for me, what's really worked is keeping individual folders for clients and projects and then saying, right, I'm going to deal with that. And then when I've dealt with it, I'm going to put it in that folder. And it also gives you a correspondence trail, which can be really useful if you need to go back and find emails from somebody confirming something three weeks ago. You're not having to search through your inbox and feel completely annoyed with yourself that you didn't come (laughs) up with a better system. So that's really been a game changer for me, um, organizing your email. And yeah, like we said before, taking some time out to just figure out what you'd like to achieve in 2020. Would you like to uh, do less work? Would you like to do a bit more work in this area versus that area? And do you have to be a bit more proactive? If so, what does that involve? Um, yeah, because if you if you don't take that time out to do that, then nobody else is going to do it for you. I, I love that. It's like lifemin, admin. Yeah, yeah, lifemin. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to Freelance Party Broadcast. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk. Subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or on any other podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining us, Iona. And listeners, please make sure to like, share, and leave us reviews. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.